We all have an instinctive need for significance. Henry Longfellow puts it like this in his poem, Psalm of Life. Tell me not in mournful numbers, life is but an empty dream. For the soul is dead that slumbers, and things are not what they seem. Life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art, to dust returnest, what's not spoken of the soul. But what makes a person significant? What makes a person great? Is it the number of championship rings that he wears on his hand? How fast she rises in her career? Maybe the amount of money in one's bank account. In this culture of ours, greatness is usually defined by the superficial, the temporal, the trivial. Yet as disciples of the only one who is truly great, is there some other standard by which we can measure greatness, significance? Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells us that then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. <coughs> we are created in the image of God, or to use the Latin term, imago Dei. In a wonderful uh, thrice song that, that uh, Dave and the worship team performed just a couple minutes ago, he used the term image of the invisible, which is a term that uh, Paul actually uses in, in Colossians 1. And the, uh, the lyrics go, we are more than static and dialed in. I think we're done, we'll do it. Uh, we're more than static and dialed tone. We are the image of the invisible. We're emblematic of the unknown. We are the image of the invisible. We all were lost, now we are found. No one can stop us or slow us down. We all are named and we are known. We know that we'll never walk alone. With the reality of God, of, of, excuse me, with the reality of being created in the image of God, one way to tackle our questions of significance and greatness is to look at God's greatness and see what principles trickle down to you and I. There are limitations to this approach, of course, since he is omnipotent, omniscient, and infinite. And the last time I checked, I don't think any of us were any of those. Well, maybe one of us is, but with the, with the sole exception of, of David, uh, I would say the rest of us were not omnipotent and not omniscient. But in spite of that, I found that there are some intriguing parallels for us to consider. In all of God's dealings with the world, arguably the, the two most significant acts he has ever done is create the world and serve the world by becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ and dying on the cross for our sins. If these are the two climatic, significant, great events of God in his relationship with man, isn't it possible that these acts serve as models for us? Perhaps we can share in his greatness when we create and serve in his name. Perhaps that is when we feel most fulfilled and whole at the same time. This reminds me of a 2000 movie uh, called Longitude. It's a story of John Harrison an 18th century English clockmaker who discovered the solution to the age-old longitude problem, being able to navigate uh, at, uh, or being able to determine a ship's navigational position while they're at sea. 
Now, in the age of GPS and Google Maps, this problem seems so insignificant to us today. But in the 18th century, this was often a matter of life and death to, to sailors. I love the film Longitude, but what has remained with me since seeing it was a statement at the end of the film that was reflecting upon Harrison's accomplishments. And it says, the, uh, the uh, quote says, what makes a man great? A man may be great in his aims or in his achievements or in both. But I think the man is, that man is truly great, who makes the world his debtor, who does something for the world which the world needs and which nobody before him has known or known how to do. Just as Harrison made the world his debtor by inventing a special timepiece that solved the longitude problem, perhaps we can do the same when our, create, when, uh, when our creative efforts or our acts of service fill a void that was left empty before we came along. <coughs> but I think I'm getting ahead of myself a little. I want us to step back and consider for a moment how we live our lives. How do we spend our time? Well, we work, we cook, we come to church, we pursue a hobby, we serve at a soup kitchen, we veg out at night, we teach our kids how to read, we watch a movie, we do things, activities, we do lots of these things. And maybe I'm guilty of oversimplification, and I'm guessing some of you will come up with some exceptions, but I think we can boil down almost all of life's activities, things that we actively do, into just four verbs. To create, to serve, to survive, and consume. And I want you to take a few minutes this, to, this morning to explore each of those four action verbs and examine how they impact or maybe even dictate our spiritual lives. First of all, create. Genesis 1.1 tells us, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We have a creative God, one who created the heavens and the earth ex nihilo, or out of nothing. But God did more than just create the world for us. He invites us to participate in the creation process. We are creative because he is creative. Dorothy Sayers in The Mind of the Maker argues that the imago Dei in humans is creativity. In trying to define what it means to be made in the image of God, Sayer points out, it is observable that in the passage leading up to the statement about man, the author of Genesis has given no detailed information about God, who he is. Looking at man, he sees in him something essentially divine. But when we turn back to see what the author says upon the original, upon which the image of God was modeled, we find only the single assertion, God created. The characteristic common to God and man is apparently that, the desire and the ability to make things. The Bible gives us examples of humans participating in the creative process. In Genesis 2.19, Adam actually participates in creation. Uh, scripture says, The Lord God formed out of the ground every living animal of the field and every bird of the air. He brought them to the man, Adam, to see what he would name them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And then a second example is the passage we just read, Dale read just a, a few minutes ago, talking about Bezalel as a craftsman. I'll just read a portion of that uh, back. See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel. He has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with understanding, with knowledge, and in all <coughs> kinds of work to design artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for their setting, 
and in cutting wood to work in every artistic craft. So what are the implications from these early parts of scripture? We're creative because God is creative. God wants us to be involved in his creative process. And God anoints and empowers us towards creativity. And scripture itself is another example of this. Think of the literary creativity that went into the writing of the Psalms and other books of the Bible. And especially here at Cana, when we think about we've been studying 1 Corinthians and how much David has pointed out to us the artistful, uh, or excuse me, the masterful artistry that Paul demonstrated in his writings to the, to the church of Corinth. In other words, the Bible is masterful literature in addition to being the inspired word of God. The Lord has given this gift of creation uh, and discovery to many people. Throughout history, the human race has been indebted to creators and discoverers like Michelangelo, Sir Isaac Newton, C.S. Lewis, the hymn writer Isaac, Watt, or Isaac Watts, and our contemporaries. Think of you too, Rich Mullins, Suf John Stevens, Terrence Malick, Wes Anderson, to name a few. You and I not only much, owe much to these all-time greats, but to cl people closer home as well who are, are participate in this creation process. I think of Dave and the worship team as they compose, arrange, or perform a song, or author a book, our very own Dale. <laughs> Prepare a sermon as David does week in and week out. Create art like Cana artists uh, have done and, and used, in, in part, uh, used in part of our services. Composing a photograph, Mike Nyman. Landscape uh, garden, like Amy, Amy Nyman's a good example. Or make a great food dish, like my wife. <laughs> to create something or even to make a discovery altogether unknown are, I think we can call them God-breathed activities, divine and ordained by the Lord, both for this world and the one to come. J.R.R. Tolkien thought of it this way. He viewed his imaginative writing as a form of worship, a way for creatures to express the divine image in them by becoming creators. He said, the making of things is in my heart for my own making by my creator. Just like a child that makes a play of the deeds of his father may do so without mockery because he is a son of his father. In Longitude, John Harrison reflects the same attitude when talking about his motivation for his life's passion. Listen to this clip. You've made up your mind, haven't you? No. You mean you're not going? Not going where? To London. I didn't say that. You've found a way to build this sea clock, haven't you? With God's help, it might be possible. I mean, why did he encourage me to build a perfect timepiece in the first place? So the blacksmith might start work five seconds earlier or later. Or was it to give us the ability to explore his creation in safety, to move without fear in the space he's given us to inhabit. So I want us to dive a little deeper in this for a moment before we go on to the next verbs. But before I do on this part, I feel like I should issue a little bit of an alert. Dorothy Sayers in The Mind of the Maker believes the Trinity, this, you'll see why I come around on that, 
beliefs, uh, the Trinity actually gives us a model or an analogy for the human creative process. Which, what she talks about here is amazing, but why well, I gave you the warning is because I think you have to really focus on what she's saying or, or it just it goes over your, easily goes over your head, or my head anyway. And let me just read this here. She says, the Trinity is an analogy of the human artist at work, a picture exact to the minutest detail, familiar at every point, and corroborated in every feature by day-to-day -day experience. For every work, or act, or, of, or performance of creation is threefold, an earthly trinity to match the heavenly. First, there is the creative idea, passionless, timeless, beholding the whole work complete at once from the, beginning, or from the end from the beginning. This is the image of the Father. Second, there is the creative energy or activity begotten of that idea, working time from the beginning to the end with sweat and passion. This is the image of Christ. And third, there is the creative power, the meaning of the work and its response in the lively soul. This is the image of the Holy Spirit. And these three are one, each equally in itself and the whole work, where none can exist without the other. And this is the image of the Trinity. Well, if you can grasp that, and it took me about three times to read that through to really get that. I think it's really pretty amazing. And I guess, where's Dave's wow when you need it? Um, I guess we'll have to, uh, to use this guy. Wow! <laughs> Sorry, I had to use that one. Number two, serve. Not every believer may necessarily feel called or inclined to create. But one thing is very clear from Scripture, that all Christians who call themselves disciples are charged to be like Christ loving and serving one another. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, Just as one who has received a gift, uh, as each one has, has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the very grace of God. Whoever speaks, let it be with God's words. Whoever serves, do so with the strength that God supplies, so that in everything God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. Paul says elsewhere, or Paul says in, in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand, so we may do them. In context, these good works are our service to the world. Whenever you serve others in any way, you're living out the Jesus creed, loving God and loving others. That's why I love the way the Living Bible puts this uh, same passage, and it reads, it is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. Serving is that second God-breathed activity. For when you serve, you're doing something that your, your spouse, your child, your neighbor, your coworker, that inner city needy family, or a hungry child in Haiti that they need for you to do. Could there be a more tangible and meaningful expression of Imago Dei than that? We are the image of the invisible as we serve others. I began talking this morning about our search for significance and greatness. Striving for greatness may perhaps sound, sound self-centered and contrary to the attitude of a servant's heart. But if we have a pure heart, the desire to be great doesn't need to be anything ego-driven at all. It's not our greatness 
It's the, the concern. It's about being involved or participating in God's greatness. Ten Shekels Shirt sums it up well in its uh, song, Great. And the lyrics go, greatness in this world is different than greatness in your eyes. To love my enemies, to serve others until I become the least. To be genuine in my love for others and for you is to be great. To be great in, great in your eyes is my dream. To be the one who makes you smile is everything. Shifting gears, I want to turn now to the third verb, survive. And that's how I would classify our nine to five lives. We work our, our jobs to survive, to put food on the table, to put a roof over our heads, to send the kids to college, that sort of thing. And that's not meant to be a negative thing because we know God calls us to these roles. And if we're Christ-led, I'm convinced that we can give glory to the Lord while doing this work. In fact, one of my favorite lines from the film Chariots of Fire speaks to that fact. It says, you can praise the Lord by peeling a spud or potato if you peel it to perfection. Let's listen to this clip. Eric, you can praise the Lord by peeling a spud if you peel it to perfection. Don't compromise. Compromise is a language of the devil. Run in God's name and let the world stand back in wonder. In other words, no matter what we do, even a task as lowly as peeling a potato, we give glory to the Lord when we do it to our utmost. And seen in this light, one of our major callings as a believer is to live out our vocations, whether we're in the office, whether we're at home, whether we're at school, in such a way that gives glory to God. And I'm sure, I'm sure some of you are already ready to call me out now because to survive as one of these four verbs can sometimes blur the lines between create and serve. Another, I mean, the truth is many of us create and serve others while we're surviving. A nurse who cares for others. A teacher who teaches his students. An uh, engineer who creates a more efficient circuit board. A, a consultant who creates a more efficient business process. These sorts of things. What's more, if we're supporting our family, then aren't we serving our family through our work, in that case, as far as supporting them? But whatever we do in our vocation, we need, just need to make sure it doesn't prevent us from serving and creating. Take John Harrison, for example. He was a carpenter by trade and for years had to continue that trade to provide for his family. And he worked at night to create his maritime timepieces. Harrison is not unique. Most people who create and serve in God's name do it in time they manufacture apart from their normal workday hours. The final verb, consume. Now, this, um, I'm using this word consume to mean any activity that's inward focused or things that we do for our own edification, whether it be eating, watching Netflix, reading a book, appreciating art or music, vacationing, pursuing a hobby. I was hesitant and I was wrestling around with a, with a different word to use because I think consume often has pretty negative connotations today and I don't mean it to come across that way necessarily. Just as we have to eat to survive, so too consuming is an integral required part of a healthy believer's life. One needs to receive be before being of any use to others, just like one cannot run a marathon on an empty stomach. Having said that though, Let's remember that an activity as godly as studying scripture is an inbound activity in and of itself. And it's going to do little good to anyone else if the fruit of this activity remains just on the inside, hidden from the world. The key for us becomes, what is our fruit of our inward focus, 
inward-focused activities that we pursue? Does it stay inside, or do we use that fruit to impact our world? A disciple's life is a balance between these four verbs, create, serve, survive, and consume. Unfortunately, many of us can find ourselves in a survive-consume cycle, putting all of our energies into surviving and consuming. We can find ourselves working so hard to survive, in the bottom there, we go into recovery mode uh, by consuming to recharge ourselves, and on, then we get back to, uh, to survival mode again. And so on and on this goes with little energy or will to create or to serve others. Dick Staub writes in his, in his book about you, he says, the Hebrew root, uh, root of the Latin phrase for the image of God, Imago Dei, means image, shadow, or likeness of God. You are a snapshot or a facsimile of God. At the very least, this means humans occupy a higher place in the created order because we alone are imprinted, imprinted with God-like characteristics. Your God-likeness is the path to your greatest fulfillment. You will feel the greatest pleasure and wholeness when who God made you to be is fully developed and expressed. In the end, our greatest moments in life tend to be about two things, our relationships and the activities in which we have an opportunity to create or to serve. You and I, we are Imago Dei, the image of the invisible. We are the face of God to the world <coughs> as we do these things, as we create and as we serve. cross of Christ, God have mercy on us, pardon us, and set us free. <coughs> know that we are forgiven, and be at peace.